Coming up on Zone 1 Digest, Commander Fenice talks to gerbil-eating lizard lady Jane Badler. Just don't ask. Maria Martin talks to Movember spokesperson about growing a moustache for cancer. Everyone seems to be getting ready for a very hairy month. London Life talk about Guy Fawkes and his very lovely moustache. So Fawkes' expertise was actually pretty crucial to the whole thing succeeding, because the people behind it were obviously not quite up to snuff. And finally, Marvin Nuro gives a very personal interview with his mentor, Princess Trust board member and former glue sniffer, David Akinsanya. You know, you're hanging around with the wrong people, you're not being looked after properly, um, but you're not a criminal. And she said to me, if you go and do voluntary work, you won't have to come and see me every week. This is Zone 1 Digest. This is Zone 1 Radio. Welcome to Zone 1 Digest, sponging off the hard-working staff of Zone 1 Radio and passing it off as work. I'm your host, Stuart Hardy, and let's get the ball rolling with one of the weirdest shows in Zone 1 Radio's history. Commander Furniture talks to gerbil-eating lizard lady Jane Badler. Yeah, I won't spoil it. You, you just need to listen. Uh, over to you, Commander. Let's get back to Jane 
You're listening to Zone One Digest, stealing others' content and passing it off as work every week here on Zone1Radio.com. Next up, Community Profile, the important show talking to people making a difference in London community. This week, we have a special chat with spokesperson for Movember, a charity that encourages people to grow moustaches for November to raise awareness for cancer. And it's not just men that can get involved. Lady moustache is a very real occurrence and everyone is encouraged to take part no matter their gender. Over to you, Community Profile. First up is my interview with Huel Mills, a Movember moustache merchant for Movember. Hi, Huel. Thank you so much for taking your time out of your day. I'm Maria with Someone Radio. So tomorrow is the first day of November. How busy are you guys? How's it going? Uh, it's all going uh, really well. Um, we have a fantastic level of support already. More than 150,000 people around the UK, uh, hundreds of thousands of people around the world already registered on Movember.com. So um, everyone seems to be getting ready for a very hairy month. Wow, that's crazy. That's a lot of participants. And I know, in the, I think last year I read it on the Movember website, you guys raised almost 80 million pounds. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, just uh, just under eighty million pounds around the world, and in the UK it was uh, twenty two point three million pounds. And um, all of that money goes towards uh, some fantastic men's health programs, working with our men's health partners and making sure that um, we we put those money into um, men's health and research uh, projects for um, cancers that affect men. If you could just explain to our listeners what Movember is, just tell us all about it. Uh, so Movember is uh, the month formerly, formerly known as November, and we encourage men to uh, start the month clean-shaven, uh, registered on Movember.com either as individuals or as a team, and then for the next 30 days they grow the best moustache they can. And in doing that they raise um, vital funds and awareness for men's health. And I saw on, your, on the website that there are certain rules about um, where your hair can grow to, you have to make sure it doesn't touch, just like another section of hair. So can you kind of explain what some of the rules are behind Movember? Yeah, we, we don't have many rules in November, but uh, there are a couple to, to follow for guys because um, it is all about moustaches and real men growing real moustaches. So, um, as I said, you need to start the month clean-shaven and then for 30 days you grow the best moustache you can. Um, we don't let people grow uh, to connect to the sideburns because that's a beard and we don't like people uh, growing under the chin either because that's a goatee. Um, but we do, you know, we are flexible and, and sort of any, anything in between is... Uh, is all good by us and uh, you know whether that's a little complimentary uh, tickler under the uh, bottom lip or whether that's uh, growing out a, a big trucker down the side so um, yeah there's lots uh, lots you can do with your mo but there are a couple of rules to follow so what are some of the events in London that um, are for Movember so uh, do you guys have um, concerts um, other fundraising events uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we are throwing some events. Uh, one of the, one of those is the uh, end of November gala event, which is going to be on the 30th of November. Um, and that's where we bring guys together um, to celebrate the Mo. And you come dressed to suit your Mo or to suit your Mo bros as a team. So whether you want to come dressed as uh, Borat or Mario or whoever your Mo icon might be. Uh, and then we judge the best and the worst moustaches uh, in the crowd. So that's always a, a fun one. But there are... Um, Lots and lots of people also throwing their own events, and whether those are fundraisers or whether those are celebration 
Legends of, of the Moustache. It's, it's all fantastic. Um, and we have uh, this year, very excitingly, a um, November barbershop on 10 Nuba Street that has been uh, built by Gillette for us. So Great. they'll be offering free moustache trims and, and wet shaves to uh, the, the Mowbrays of London. Awesome. So how can people register and get involved with Movember? Uh, so go to movember.com. Um, it's really easy to get involved. Um, there's a section on the site that um, gets you registered. You, you register as an individual, uh, and then you can either start a team, um, be the team captain, and, and that's from most sisters too. Um, we encourage uh, the female support as well, um, and anyone can register. Um, and then you know you, you go ahead and you recruit your team, and, and we have leaderboards on there as well, so you can see who's raising the most money and, and how many people are taking part. So um, yeah, it's, it's really easy to get involved. Um, just check out Movember.com and um, get started. Great. Well, thank you so much for all of your information, and good luck with growing your mustache. <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> for having you. me and, uh, and for the good luck as well. This is Zone One Radio. This is Zone One Digest, and that was Community Profile with a special on Movember. And next up, we have a clip from London Life featuring silly Mr. Ian Hawkins talking about Guy Fawkes. I'm pretty sure that Guy Fawkes had a beard. That's a legitimate connection. Shut up, it is. Anyway, over to you, London Life. The story of Guy Fawkes and why we have bonfire night on the 5th of November is familiar enough to anyone who grew up in England. But for those raised elsewhere, it can be a bit of a mystery. I first came to Britain in the 80s, 84. I just couldn't believe how many kids were begging in Liverpool. It really kind of bothered me, and I, and I, and then I remember once commenting on it to somebody. I said, "There's all these kids around, and they, and they, they have this stuffed person next to them, and and then, and, and so what? If beggars up here, do they say penny for the guy?" And, they, and then someone explained to me that 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 was like kind of like the British version of Halloween, and these guys were, you know, you give money for candy and stuff, and I felt so bad. But it was like the day after. Guy Fawkes Day, and I, I kept running around trying to find kids to give money to him. So I'm so sorry. I, I was so, so sorry. I was being mean to you. That was magician and comedian John Lenahan. We can, of course, forgive him for not being totally au fait with all of the ins and outs of English customs when he first arrived here from his native Philadelphia. But why is it that at this time of year, over 400 years since the gunpowder plot was foiled, the air is tinged with the sour smell of spent gunpowder from the crackling fireworks? Well, remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Well, if you want an expert, you can't do better than James Travers, who literally wrote the book on the gunpowder plot. He's based up at the National Archive in Kew. James is a researcher, and as you can imagine, he's got everything. So who was Guy Fawkes? He was a soldier and a diplomat. He was brought in very late into the plot, mm. so they felt that they could um, use him without compromising the whole operation because he didn't know that much. Because I, I think the the popular perception of him is, is a bit of a, a bit of a patsy that just was mm. drafted in and mm. just some idiot to light the fuse. Is that is that the case? He was a very um, knowledgeable and experienced. Um, minor. He was brought in for his particular expertise. There is a lesson about gunpowder safety from the plot itself, actually. Excellent. In the part of this siege in the Midlands I've talked about, 
um, they got very wet. They were marching around from house to house in heavy rain, trying to raise support, and all it did was give people a chance to run away. And when they finally got to this house, they thought, well, we've got munitions for an army here, you know, but there's only about 20 of us left. Um, what we really need to do is dry our gunpowder out. So they got the gunpowder, <laughs> put it in front of the fire, make sure it got nice and dry, <laughs> and you can guess what happened next. I mean, that's one of the reasons why uh, some of them were killed at the siege, because some of them had been blinded and otherwise hurt by a gunpowder explosion just before the... Um, local militia arrived to come and arrest them. So Fawkes' expertise was actually pretty crucial to the whole thing succeeding, because the people behind it were obviously not quite up to snuff. So thanks to James and to the National Archive at Kew, which is well worth a visit. You've been listening to London Life with me, Ian Hawkins. The producer is Ollie Hunter. Join us next time when you'll hear more of whatever this has been. This is Zone One Radio. That's about all we have time for this week on Zone One Digest, the best of London's community radio station. But to end, we have just about enough time to squeeze in a very heartfelt interview that Marvin did with his mentor, Prince's Trust board member and former glue sniffer David Akinsanya. Thanks for listening and stay tuned to all the great content uploaded by others so that I can sponge off them on zone1radio.com. And make sure to find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash z1radio. But just before I go, I'd just like to quickly rub it in our founder, Matthew Layton's face, that he didn't get on this show this week. I'm very sorry, Matthew. I'll crowbar you in next week at some point. Anyway, over to you, Marvin. I went down to the canal to catch up with David Akinsanya to interview him about why he is looked upon as a positive role model to young black kids and children in care. He told us about the struggles in the first half of his life that led to him going to prison. From there, he turned his life around by volunteering. Hello, my name is Marvin Neuro from Zone One Radio, and you are David Akinsanya. Okay, my middle name. If you want, go. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a children's home. I'm mixed race. When I was born, white women could not have black babies. And I went into care. I got excluded from primary school. And I was sent to a school for maladjusted children. That's where I started committing crimes. Then, because it was a seaside town where the, where the school was, we used to mug all the kids who used to come up there with their spending money. I started glue sniffing at 13. I had over 800 charges going back over two years. I never bunked a day off school, but I was, a, I was a sort of naughty kid. I think what it was, actually, was that I didn't really feel that anyone cared about me, so why should I care about me? At the weekends, I used to go back to a town called Basildon, which is really rough, and it's got a real kind of gang culture. It has had for years. Do you know what I mean? You only have to see the film Essex Boys and all that to know what was going on there. And so I was, I was sent to prison. And, in fact, actually, I know people don't like me saying this, but that was probably a really good thing for me at that time. The governor said to me one day, will you come into a local school and talk to them about what it's like to be in prison? And so I did, and that was a turning point for me. When I realised that this group, this whole classroom, who were probably noisy, messing about normally, were dead quiet. A, because I think there's a bit of intrigue about knowing someone who's in prison. And I was actually wearing my prison uniform as well. And I think that was the turning point for me, was being able to sit down with these kids and say to them, look, I messed up. When I came out of prison that time, my probation officer said to me, David, you're not a criminal. You know, you've hanging around with the wrong people, you're not being looked after properly, um, but you're not a criminal. And she said to me, if you go and do voluntary work, you won't have to come and see me every week. 
And then I came to London and worked voluntary, running an organisation for kids who have been in care. And I got more interested in media then. And I applied to the Prince's Trust for a grant. They gave me the money to buy a typewriter and a recorder and a few other bits and pieces so that I had all the equipment I needed to be a journalist. And then luckily someone offered me a job at the Sunday Times. I kept on applying for jobs at the BBC. Um, but in those days, you didn't get into the BBC if you hadn't been to Oxford and Cambridge. You certainly didn't get in if you were black and you'd been to prison. But I kept on applying. And eventually a friend of mine... Um, knew someone who worked on a programme that I applied for a job to. I went along to the... I got called in for an interview, and when I went into the interview, I see my CV there with all tea bag stains on it. I said to him, oh, my God, what's my CV look... He said it was in the bin. Your application form was in the bin because you didn't go to university, you got a criminal record, and, you know, that's... We, we don't consider people like that. But luckily, someone said, see you, so we're seeing you, and they give me the job as a trainee assistant producer which was a three-year contract. And um, I did that, and when that finished, they didn't want to let me go, and I stayed there for 20-odd years. It's about determination. It's about knowing that every little thing you do that's positive is going to go towards you in the future. So if, you know, the Prince's Trust asked me to join the board because um, they'd given me the money, and I'd given them the money back, um, and they said to me, would I join the local committee? So I joined the local committee. Then six months later, I get a letter from Buckingham Palace saying, will I join the board? And so I joined the board and I was on the board for like 12 years. And I'm sitting down in meetings with Prince Charles and all these top captains of industry. And there's little me. Sometimes I used to pinch myself. I used to think, what the hell's going on here?